This is Honest Math Chat, and I'm Mona Eel of Mona Math. I'm a former math avoider turned math teacher cheerleader, and I'm going to get real honest with you about math classroom culture, engagement, math discussions, and all the student-centered instructional practices to help you empower your students to love and understand math deeply. So every Monday on Honest Math Chat, we're going to work together to make our classrooms places where students see themselves as mathematicians. But let's not wait. If you're ready to engage every learner and get them pumped about math, you've got to use math discussions. I welcome you to download the guide to engaging math discussions right now. Go to monamath.com slash discussions. You'll get all my best tips on how to guide on the side while getting every child meaningfully engaged in discussing their math thinking. Okay, on today's show, we have Janet Nasser, who's a fourth grade teacher in Southern California, and she's going to share with us all of the amazing things that she's doing in her classroom. So, hey, Janet, how are you? Hi, Mona. Good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to have real teachers on the show. It's just been so refreshing to get this like math in the real world perspective. So tell us about you and your life as a math teacher. Awesome. Well, first of all, I want to say I have been binge binge watching, binge listening to your uh, podcast. And I have been love hearing from other math teachers around the country and what they're doing. It's been really exciting to not really connect since it's just listening, but you know, like getting to get that that community feeling going. I love it. Yes. So it's been awesome to have this have you doing this podcast. Um, as far as me, this is my 16th year teaching. I started in middle school where I swore up and down I would never ever teach middle school. I went through my whole entire credential program, <laughs> no middle school. Um, and then my first <laughs> job was middle school. And I stayed there for seven years. But I didn't teach math in middle school because I was still afraid of math at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was teaching history and English. And then I was I worked at the district office. Um, my district called it TOA, teacher on assignment. Actually, that mm-hmm. district called it TOSA, teacher on special assignment. Okay. Um, my assignment was not so special. I sat in front of a computer all day. And I did that for a year and a half and hated it. And then I had my second kid and I was commuting like... I would tell you the mileage, but in California, the mileage doesn't really matter. It's more the time. So an hour plus each way. And on Fridays, it could be up to two hours because I'm on the route to Vegas coming home. Oh my goodness. Horrible. So I, while I was on maternity leave with my second kid, found a new job that is like five miles from my house. And my principal was my bits of mentor at my first school. So Everything circle moment. Out. Yes, it's perfect. And she's still my principal and she's an amazing principal. I love her. She lets me do pretty much whatever I want to do. So I w- moved to that school, taught second for several years, taught a two, three combo one year of all of the gifted third graders and then all of like our high second graders. It was such a fun class to teach. And everybody says like, oh, like anybody can teach the high kids. No, like you have to keep them challenged and keep them moving. And the types of stuff that we got to do was so fun and so amazing. Um, and then I moved to fourth grade the year that we the pandemic started. So 2020, 2021, we're all distance learning. I moved to fourth grade, which oh was a really good thing um, because I didn't have to try to get second graders that couldn't read 
to do stuff on a computer. Right. But it was also a really big challenge because now I was teaching fourth grade math, which has fractions and multiplication and division, which were like my own personal fears. So I spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos that year. Like in the morning, my kids were um, async for about an hour and a half. And then I would hop out and teach them live for two hours with breaks in there. But uh, I would use that async time to watch YouTube videos of whatever concept that we were going to be doing. And I would sit there doing it with the video. Math with Mr. J like saved me. If he's listening <laughs> to this, Math with Mr. J, you saved me the first year in fourth grade. Because I would watch those videos. I would do his example problems. And then when I would meet with the kids, we would watch the video together so I could get a double dose of it. I don't know what I would have done without YouTube that year. Because, yeah. I mean, I met with my instructional coach, but we were on teams. It wasn't the same. You know, it was so difficult. But now this is what my third, fourth year in fourth grade. I love it. I'm super confident with the math. Um, and it's really fun to get to be back in person with the kids teaching those things that I struggled so hard to teach online. You know, I so love that's that. That's kind of my journey from like, I would never teach middle school and I hate math to I taught middle school and now I teach fourth grade math. I love that you shared your struggle within your journey too. Like too often we have shame around the fact that like we need to relearn the math because oh, yeah. the way we were taught didn't lend itself to that math sticking around in our brains, right? So Not at all. Oh my gosh. I still remember like the fear I had in fourth grade. Um, we were learning to multiply in fourth grade, which now it's in third grade, which is crazy to me, but I had a no, I had one of those like folders, um, you know, all of us that grew up in like the eighties and nineties, we had those like Lisa Frank folders and everything. <laughs> yeah. Trapper and keeper. one of mine had all the math times tables in it. And we would do those like one minute math tests. And I would always try to like sneak my folder open and look at it <laughs> because yes. I had not memorized them. Mm -hmm. And then instead of, you know, being shown a different way, it was just, you need to memorize these. So then yep. I went to fifth grade and I still didn't have them memorized. And now I'm 41 and I have some of them memorized, but not all of them. Yes. And I feel like I'm the exact same way. And what do you do with that experience? I know like for me, it's like that experience of never learning my multiplication facts and feeling that pressure from those tests like that. I brought that with me into teaching and I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. we are not doing time tests. We are not doing like all these things that cause me stress. What about you? Like, how has that kind of influenced you as a math teacher? So I think it's really had a strong influence on me as a math teacher. Even going back to when I taught second, you think, oh, that's easy math. It's adding and subtracting. But for kids in second that are struggling, it's not easy math. I think one of the biggest pros of me struggling with math as a kid and as an adult was that I could see where the understanding broke down for my students. I could be standing in front of those second graders adding two digit numbers with regrouping, which, you know, as an adult, we think, oh, that's so easy. But I could see like the fear on their faces and I could see where it was breaking down. So then I would just stop and I'd say, okay, I can see that we're like, this is not working for us. You know, and I knew how to ask them questions to kind of pull out, like, where do you not understand? And that's one of my biggest questions I ask now is, all right, let's stop. Where did I lose you? Where mm -hmm. was the point that you felt like, oh, my God, what are we doing? Can I please go back to kindergarten? <laughs> and the kids love when I say that because it totally disarms them. Yes. You know, they're just like, okay, you're making a joke. You're not mad at us. And then I'll just start writing on the board whatever they say. 
you know? So we make a list of like where math got hard when we're doing this. And so with second graders, that was a little bit easier to work through with them, but we did lots of building numbers since. So stuff with dice, subitizing, playing games, lots of tactile, like getting out the counters, the base 10. Um, and then in fourth grade, I do the same things. We've done fractions or we've done place value in second and fourth grade with the graham crackers and the marshmallows and the pretzel rods. Awesome. And it works for both grade levels. Anytime you can eat and do math, <laughs> kids are going to be on your side. That's true. That's so true. Anytime you can eat and do anything, right? Yes. I know. I know. One of the first things we did this year was we celebrated National S'more Day. Because oh, I'm really big into those made up weird holidays. <laughs> and so I found one at the beginning of the school year. It was National S'mores Day. So we made s'mores and we made a solar oven outside and melted our s'mores. And we read a book about s'mores and we drew s'mores. Amazing. And, right? It was so fun. And people are like, but you teach fourth grade. So fourth graders are still kids. They want to have fun. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that they still talk about all the time. Remember when we made s'mores? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. And we'll make something <laughs> else later this year. That's yeah. so fun. Um, so just so, really being able to see where they break down and understanding that and then taking that time to stop and disarm their fear, disarm their frustration with themselves and with me, and then backing the train up as far as we need to back it up. Mm -hmm. You know, that's been, I think that's been my biggest success in teaching math. I love that. So I... I mean, you're also talking about just how joyful your math class, your classroom is. And when we are elementary teachers, we get to have the kids all day long. So it's not like yes. you're just teaching math all day. But can you just walk us through a little bit about like what your classroom, maybe during math specifically, is like? What's yeah. it feel like in there? What's it look like? What are you guys up to? So I definitely have a loud classroom. And I, it took time as a teacher to get over that, like, fear of, like, oh, my gosh, I have the noisy class. But that's their learning, right? Um, I try not to talk too much. There are days where I will have to do more of the talking because I'm teaching them a new strategy and we're taking notes and, you know, I'm walking them through every step. But once we've learned a new strategy, then the following days, it's like, okay, let's play with it. Let's practice this, mm -hmm. you know, and so. We'll do a day that's kind of like exploration. So right before winter break, I was teaching my fourth graders how to divide using partial quotients, which is a really tricky concept for them. But once they get it, it's so powerful and it really relies on their multiplication skills. So they start to see the connection between the two. It builds really strong number sense with the bigger numbers for them. So the first couple of days, it was like, okay, we're just going to play. You know, like I'm going to walk you through it. We're going to do it on our whiteboards. I love using whiteboards because it takes away that anxiety of like, I wrote the wrong thing and I have to cross it out. Mm -hmm. Just erase it. Now nobody can see it, you know? Yes. Um, so that's like my number one tip to any teacher ever is like get a class set of whiteboards and use them for everything. And then we'll do notes, you know, in their notebooks with step one, step two, all of that. I love to color code everything. I did find out this year that I have to explicitly teach what color coding is for because my kids just thought, oh, we're coloring our paper. And I was like, <laughs> no, like you see that all of the partial quotients are in blue and all of the dividends are in green. Like there is like a, there is a code to this color. And so <laughs> once I taught that, then they started using it. But it was one of those things that I was like, oh, you got to teach this. Mm -hmm. I can't just say color code. Um, so now that they know how to do that too, that makes math a little bit more fun because it's not just a pencil. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care what kids write with. Even when I taught second grade, I was like, if you want to write with the fancy pen you brought from home, you do you. I don't care. Right. And they were so like, what do you mean? This is school. We have to use a pencil. Says who? I don't use, I don't like pencils. I don't use pencil. I love only it. write pen. I love you know, it. so also part of my teaching and part of my math teaching is very much like breaking the rules. You know, like school is pencil. School is sitting here. School is listening. Like that is not me at all. Because I was not a good student. I was a compliant student, but I was not a good student. So I would follow directions. I would listen. I would do all that stuff most of the time. But um, I mean, early on in my education, I decided I wasn't doing homework anymore. I'm talking like fourth, fifth grade. And I was just like, no, I go to school all day. I'm not going to do any homework. My dad goes to work all day. He doesn't bring work home. My mom (laughs) goes to work all day. She doesn't bring work home. I'm not bringing work home. My parents did not like that at all. <laughs> but I was also very stubborn and very headstrong and was like, no, I'm not doing it. Got me in lots of trouble. But kids love hearing that story. They think it's like the best thing ever because they think, oh, you're a teacher. You liked school. You were good at school. And I was like, no, guys, like I got D's and F's. I had to retake a class. I had to take algebra two like three times. You know, um, and so I try to bring my own experiences of those things of of my dislike of school into the classroom and try to make the classroom, like you said, very joyful, very student centered. Um, And so I want them talking. I want them playing. I want them doing. I love that you call like practice playing. You've said that multiple times and that is just so awesome. And then you said, like, you're breaking this norm of, like, what school is. Like, that is a fun classroom to come to, right? Like, we don't practice division. We play with division. Like, that is a shift in mindset of, like, you're not here to just do what I say, but you're here to, like, figure things out. Yeah. And I always tell them, especially in math, I don't expect you to get it on day one or day two. And day one, day two of whatever new thing we're learning. So if we're in division and we're on our third strategy, that's day one all over again. If you mm-hmm. don't get it, good. Now you're struggling. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you get it on day one. If you do, that's awesome. But if you don't, that's okay because we still have days two through however long we're going to take for you to get it. And I think kids at first don't believe that, but then they see that every day I'm still approaching it with like, okay, let's try this today. Okay. Where do you not understand today? I'll break them into groups based off of like, okay, this group, they've got it. They can apply it. They can do it on their own. Go work on something more challenging using this strategy, but maybe instead of to the thousands place, take it to the 10,000s or the hundred thousands. You know, I have one little boy that he is a calculator. He can compute, no joke, two digit divisors into four digit dividends mentally. Wow. Take some time. He has to think about it, but he doesn't have to sit there and go step by step by step. So him, I'm like, you have to learn the new strategy. I need you to know it. But once you can show me that you've got it, like I'll go give you some challenge work to do. Mm-hmm. And he loves that. I'm on Khan Academy recently. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to give you fifth grade because you don't really need a lot of extra practice with fourth grade. You go ahead and get on fifth grade. But I had to like break him in because in the beginning of the year, I would give him like the fourth grade challenge problems from our curriculum, which are those like really complex word problems. And he would get them all wrong, even though he could do the math, but mm-hmm. he didn't want to think about it. And he didn't want to use any type of strategy. It was just like, I'm going to write an answer. 
And then I had three other kids that were also doing those types of problems and they would work together and they would talk about the math and they would try out different things and they were getting them all right. And he had refused to work with them. And then I had him one day, I was like, look at your work and look at their work, you know, just he, he and I one-on-one. So I told him, I said, you're, those kids are not smarter than you. But what they did was one, they talked to each other about the math. They talked to each other about the different strategies that they wanted to try and what those, the word problems could possibly be asking. And then they tried different stuff and then they checked it with each other. And that really came from me building a collaborative environment in our classroom where kids are not afraid to try and be wrong or to share out different ideas. Sometimes I have to like tell them to like calm down with the sharing out of ideas because then nothing is being heard because it's everybody wants to talk. Sure, no. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but so once he kind of grasped that and saw that these other kids who weren't as quick of calculators as him, but they were getting these really complex problems correct and he wasn't, it took a while, but he gradually kind of bought in and now he'll work with a group and now he'll try out strategies. Whereas before in August, he'd be like, nobody does math like this. When we're doing something where we're just breaking it down step by step. And I was like, I understand that you don't do math like this because you can calculate in your head, but I can't calculate in my head. Not this many numbers are this big of numbers. Right. You know? And so for kids like that, I think this is also very powerful. This sense of collaboration, of playing with math because he's really good at math but then he gets to more complex problems problems that are not just straightforward computation and that's where he was struggling you mm-hmm. know so even those kids who are quote unquote are high learners or are high achievers there's value in them playing with math as well Yes. And you're talking about really like the behaviors of mathematicians, which Mm -hmm. sometimes that's lost when we're like, okay, we got to get through this lesson and this lesson and keep going and get to the end of the unit. And it's also lost when kids are good at just computing. They don't have the reason that they have to, like, they don't see that reason that they might have to collaborate. So how would you suggest that like teachers build that capacity within students like what do you do to like engage students in collaboration or in just like being willing to take risks and try okay so one of my favorite strategies and i like i said earlier i've listened to your podcast before um and other people have talked about this is using which one doesn't belong so i know you're a big fan of it i sure um (laughs) i was introduced to this a couple years ago and i love it because it takes all of the math out of math And it just really gets the kids into thinking and reasoning and talking. And so that really pulls out that collaborative piece because there's no wrong answer. That's what I love about which one does not belong. And my favorite thing to do is like, if it's a student's birthday, I will make a which one doesn't belong. That's all birthday themed. So like cake, presents, balloons, you know, and they love it. I, like I said before, I like all the wacky holidays. So if there's some fun holiday and I can find pictures that go with that, I'll do that. So it's not always mathematical representations. And in fact, I would say we start school the first week of August. So I hate our school calendar. It's insanely early. But um, I spend most of August on which one doesn't belong. And almost all of that is not math. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not giving them numbers or fractions, but we're just looking at pictures of different things because it really disarms them. They're not like, I don't know which one doesn't belong with all these numbers you showed me. 
Yeah. And then once we get confident with the really fun, which one doesn't belong, then we can jump into more mathy ones, Mm -hmm. but still keeping the fun there. I love that. And you're building all of those like skills of sharing your thinking, justifying your reasoning. Like you can build all of that when you're looking at pictures of cats or pictures of birthday cake or whatever. And it's like, they're just talking about cats. They're just talking about pie or whatever it is. And it's like, they're building all those skills we want them to have in math, but it's hard to build those communication skills at the same time as understanding division with decimals or whatever. Like, so I love that you, first of all, this whole like wacky holiday thing is something I feel like I need to look into because what a like simple way of just bringing some joy to class of like, Oh yeah. It's national s'more day. How fun. And then tying that back into math of like, Hey, let's just look at this. Which one doesn't belong that has nothing to do with math. It almost tricks them. It's like how, you know, like how parents like hide vegetables and like muffins or cakes or something. It's like that. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. And I always get kids that tell me every year, like, I hate math. Math is my like least favorite subject. This year's class. No, they didn't say math was their least favorite, but they do have struggles. And then you know, halfway through first semester, they're like, I really like math. Are we doing math today? I'm like, friends, we are doing math every day. Right. <laughs> that doesn't need to be a question. <laughs> Especially because I write the schedule on the board every single day. And <laughs> I always make math first. Mm. So um, when I taught second, it wasn't first on our schedule, but I just was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And math is going to be first. And I found a lot of success with that too, because it's such a big cognitive load for kids. And so to come in fresh in the morning and we tackle that big challenging subject first, one, they're awake and they haven't been stressed out by the day yet, most likely. Um, And so they have the, the mental capacity at that time to do math. And two, it knocks that scary subject out of the way within the first hour, hour and a half of the day. You know, they know like, okay, I can make it till nine, nine 30, whatever time math ends that day. And then we're done with math. Mm-hmm. And I really, I've seen a big shift in my students, the years that I've done math first versus the years that I haven't done math first. Interesting. Um, because of that. Yeah. I would love to know, like people that are listening, like when, what time of day you teach math, because I've done both as well. And sometimes I think it's almost better to teach math later in the day for my classes that are like really engaged in math. It's like, what are we going to put after recess? Literally, they don't want to do anything after recess. And so when they're really engaged in math, it's like, okay, well, we could put this there because there is a lot of talking and a lot of moving and, you know, but I, I'm really curious to hear, maybe people will, um, send me a DM and then I'll have to let you know of like what people yeah. are saying. Or put up a poll on your Instagram stories. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll do that. You no, know, we should that. both put a poll on our Instagram stories and then we should compare our results. I love it. Our, we're going to yeah, have some data easy. to share. Oh, oh my so gosh. Teachery. Graphing it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so yeah. much. Um, oh, and the, I just said graphing it. That also reminds me. So, you know, I don't know how your curriculum scope and sequence is set up. But for us, like the geometry standards are always at the end of the year, like in the spring. Yeah. Um, angles, area perimeter, graphing, all of that. I have started in the past couple of years introducing those things earlier in the year. I don't really do a problem of the day, um, but I used to do when I taught second, I did a morning meeting 
every day. And it was a short one. It's, I mean, I sell them now and they're much more involved, but I would do a really short one. And a lot of times I would throw a graph into that. And the morning meeting, they would have to read the graph and come up with information. Now with the collaborative thinking classrooms, we haven't talked about it yet, but when we get to it, I'll put graphing into that or I'll put area and perimeter into that. And then this year I saw something on a Facebook group about teach perimeter when you're teaching addition because perimeter is just addition and teach area when you're teaching multiplication. And so I did that. I really liked that because I felt like, wow, there's a strong connection here. There's a purpose to our math here, Mm -hmm. you know, versus like, okay, place value, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And then eventually we'll get to area and perimeter. I did them in the context of their operation. And I really liked it. And it gave a good opportunity for some rich word problems. Yes. You know, we did one, um, a collaborative math problem around Halloween. And it was Dracula is looking to buy a new coffin. And he has a space with an area of, I don't know what it was, like 235 feet. The coffin he found at Costco has the length of this, the width of that. Will it fit in the space? Explain why or why not? And so they, and they solved it in groups. They loved it. I have never seen kids so engaged in a word problem about area, but because I added in Dracula around Halloween (laughs) and because we were already working on multiplying and it was something connected to that. They loved that problem. I think it was like their favorite problem of all of like the beginning of the year. That's amazing. And I totally agree with you. I always teach area with multiplication because of the real world connections. Like it just makes word problems so much easier when you are talking about multiplication. Area makes sense to talk about then. Okay. So speaking of word problems, I feel like that is the thing that teachers struggle the most with in getting their students engaged. And so I have a big routine in my classroom where we do a one word problem every day and, you know, we chart up the strategies and we'd have a big math discussion about it, but that's a big time commitment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, like, we just don't even know where to start with that. So what do you do with word problems and kind of like, how did you get started with it? Yeah. So like I said, I don't really do a problem of the day. I know that's a big popular one. Um, But like you said, again, the time commitment And I want to try to get through more, especially I have a very diverse class. I'm the inclusion teacher for my grade level. So I have fourth grade students who have IEPs for learning disabilities all the way up to I have kids who can do middle school level math. Um, So for me doing one word problem a day, just those really fast processors get really bored and my kids that need extra help, it just doesn't work for them. Um, So last school year, I found Peter Liljadal's book, Building... Thinking Classrooms. Mm -hmm. I always mess up the title and his name. Sorry, Peter. I read it. It's a quick and easy read. I love it. Immediately (laughs) contacted the instructional coach for my school and was like, I need you to buy this book and read it because I need to talk to somebody about it. And so he did. And we both together, we were like all in. So he started coming to my class and observing my students doing these problems. And that's one way that I really get in some of those complex word problems But back up that train a little bit, just like with which one doesn't belong, starting with non-curricular tasks. So one of my favorites to start with is you have an ice cream store, you're selling double scoop cones, that's the only thing you're selling today, and you have 12 flavors. How many possible combinations of flavors are there? And people that are really good at like complex math will be like, oh, here's the formula, you do that, right? But like fourth graders, and 41-year-olds like me 
don't do that. And um, so I love it because with Peter's ideas, you put them into random groups of three. They're at a vertical non-permanent surface. So like a whiteboard. I don't have enough vertical whiteboards. So some of my kids have to go to paper, but it still works. Mm-hmm. And then they just attack the problem from whatever angle they see fit. But again, so following Peter's quote unquote rules, the person with the marker is not writing their own idea. The other kids have to talk. And then if you're going to be writing, you're writing what somebody else is telling you to write. And if you want your idea written on that board, you need to pass that marker on and let somebody else write. And again, I tell all my kids too, everybody has to write, everybody has to talk, and everybody in the group has to be able to explain the math. So when I come around and I'm talking to you, I'll usually pick the kid that looks the least engaged and ask them questions to really reinforce the idea of like everybody is participating. Yeah. And it only takes a couple of days of that, of kids realizing like, oh, she's going to pick on me if I look like I'm not participating. <laughs> and it's not a scary thing because it's not like I'm yelling at them from across the room. It's just me in a small group with those three kids, wherever their, their station is at, right? And I'll, I'll point out what I see and I'll ask lots of questions, but most of my questions are going to be targeted to that kid that I can tell, like tried to check out. Mm-hmm. I love that the whole, you can't write if you're holding the marker because it builds that collaboration in. It's not it like you're talking about collaboration and how you're supposed to do it, but it's basically saying in order to achieve this, you have to share. So I I love some of those structures that just really reinforce those mathematician mindsets, like the whiteboards on the wall, like the vertical non-permanent surface is what he calls them, right? Because yeah, yeah like you said, it takes away like the pressure of writing down the wrong thing, just erase it, keep going. And like, it's a big space. So you can do lots of different things on this space. Yeah. I love that. So I also like the other one that he talks about in the book, which is like defronting your classroom. Like there's not one expert here. So how do you do that? That's a hard one to do um, on a practical basis, but the way I've done it, so I have a projector on my desk. So my like front whiteboard is the front of my room. It's where my desk is, all of that. But I move around. I don't stay at my desk. So especially when we do our collaborative math tasks, at the end, we always debrief. And I call them back together as a group. I don't stand in the front of the room for that. I'll, I pick a new spot every time. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'm going to go stand by the back door. My library is split in half in my room just because of the way it's set up. So sometimes I'll go stand by the chapter book section of my library. Sometimes I go stand by the picture book slash nonfiction section of my library. You know, I'll stand in different spots. I'll stand by a group's work that I wanted to highlight. And then they're all kind of gathered around standing in front of me. And so that's one way I do front. And then I'm really lucky in my classroom that two of my walls are whiteboards, like not the whole entire wall, but I have giant whiteboards on two walls that are uh, perpendicular. So I can teach from the side of my classroom. Mm -hmm. I can teach from the front of my classroom. And I do that a lot. I teach from different areas. I did a donor's choose over the summer and I got a pretty large whiteboard that's got a stand so I can move it around. And so sometimes I'll go teach from that. You know, my kidney bean table for small groups is in the back of my room. And I pull groups back there all the time. While I can't technically completely defront the room, I do what I can within my space mm-hmm. and within my limitations because I cannot move that projector around the room every time I need to move. But you know. but the idea like that kids are around the room solving and you oh, go yeah. and stand next to their chart or whiteboard and talk about 
their work and kind of bringing in everybody as the expert. It's like, not just look at me, look at my projector, Mm -hmm. but like, we're going to all look over here because they have this strategy that we really need to highlight. Again, it's breaking those rules of this is what school looks like, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. In math, we're going to stand and we're going to write with whiteboard markers and you're going to be the teacher to the class today. And yeah. I just feel like that's what builds kids confidence, but also kind of lowers those barriers that so many yeah. kids have into yeah. math. Well, and I had a student teacher during semester one. She was with me from the end of August to the beginning of December. And she was amazing. She had never taught before. She'd only done observations But that was one of the first things that she observed with my class was the collaborative math tasks. And so when she started taking over pieces of the day, that was one of the first things that she took over. And as she went throughout her time with us, she stopped asking me to come up with problems for her. And she would show me what she was finding and what she was coming up with. And I really appreciated that she kept up that practice. And I wound up with a second copy of the book. So I wound up giving her my second copy because it's kind of a pricey book, you know. Um, And she was like, oh, my God, I am so excited to have my own copy of this book now. But also, I used the time while she was with me to go do like mini PDs and modeling lessons in my colleagues' classrooms. And so I got to go to three first grade classrooms and a kindergarten classroom to do these collaborative math tasks. Awesome. And one thing that we had the younger kids do that I really, really liked, and I might do it when I come back is at the end, before we debriefed, we had them do a gallery walk. And so they would walk around and they would look at each other's work. And then we would come back together. We'd ask, did you see something that your group didn't try? Did you see something that your group did try that somebody else did try? Just getting, again, more of that questioning, that conversation. And kids were so excited to share about what they saw other groups try, what they tried. And kids were excited to hear that somebody said, oh, I saw on this poster over there that they did X, Y, Z. And that kid knows like, oh, that was my group. That's what we did. You know, Uh, it was hilarious in kinder, though, because I have never taught kinder and they can't read a lot and they can't write a lot. They can, but they're still learning on those things. Right. And so we made up one. It was a little bear and I had a little clip art of bear. And he had like three different shirts and three different bottoms. And it was how many outfits can you make? And so they're physically manipulating this bear. But then we wanted them to record it on their little station. And so they're asking us, like, how do you spell pink? And one of our other big focuses at our school this year is science of reading. And I got to also give a PD on phonics and uh, phonological awareness. And so I really wanted to just tell them P-I-N-K. But I was like, okay. What sound do you hear first? What sound (laughs) do you hear second? And so I like that though. I bring that up because it's a way to also build in some of those literacy skills Mm -hmm. within the math. Yeah. You know, and the kids loved it. They were like, when are you coming back? It's like, (laughs) I'm not, but your teacher now knows how to do it. Yay. And that sharing that practice within colleagues is like the best kind of professional development. Like in my opinion, going into each other's classrooms, modeling, like teaching lessons together, like that's the best kind of professional development because it's relevant to you. Like I'm sure you learned a lot just from going into the kindergarten classroom because in a few years, those are going to be your students. And when that teacher changes their practice or adds a new concept, like, that just helps the whole school community. So yes. 
I love that you spent that time that you had that student teacher to do that. That's it was really good. It was really exhausting. There were days that I was modeling in three, four classrooms, uh, you know, back to back. And I was working more than I work when I'm <laughs> teaching my own class. But I get bored easily. And my brain is always going with ideas and things. And so I told people I'm available if you want help with anything, you know, anything I'll help you with because I'm my teacher took over. So I'm kicked out. And um, people took me up on that. And I was so excited that people wanted to try new things. They, I think, really appreciated it. I got a lot of feedback afterwards. Being able to see it with real kids in the moment and ask questions of me, somebody that's been doing the practice, and then be able to say, well, like, look at this group over here. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Or my student with big behaviors, like, how do we get him engaged, you know? And I was able to help them with their own specific kids in the moment. So it's not like, a, well, you have the ideal class. Mm-hmm. One, I don't ever have the ideal class, except for that one year with the combo. But, um, <laughs> you know, but then it's also like, look, we can do it with your kids. And being able to see another teacher's kids and how they're reacting or acting or engaging or not engaging and saying, okay, well, maybe try this with that kid, mm-hmm. you know, and then see it in the moment, like, okay, it worked or it didn't work versus I can give you a list of stuff that I think will help, but I'm not going to be there when you implement it. Totally. You know? So it was yeah. a really powerful experience all around. I think like, yeah, just being able to like do that kind of hand in hand, like learn by doing yeah. instead of like a sit and get PD is just so important. So I think people who are listening, if you're interested in trying this building thinking classrooms, A, get the book, B, just like pick a problem. Like Janet yeah. said, that's maybe not even a math problem doesn't even have numbers and try it out and put your kids in some groups of three and have them work together to solve it on a whiteboard and just see what happens. It's really fascinating. I think to like watch what happens before you give any directions, just kind of gather that information. Like you were saying, like which kids are not involved, which kids are. And then you can start kind of building up that classroom community from there. Yeah. One of the things that one of my students said this year that really stuck with me too, he's one of my students with an IEP, um, started the year off not really knowing how to read. And I try to keep the problems like very text light or no text. You know, it's Peter even says in the book, give them the prompt verbally and maybe just write a couple keywords on the board. And this student in particular told me, because I always ask in the debrief to rank like on a scale of one to 10, how much you liked this activity. And then a scale of one to 10, what was the difficulty level for you? And then we talk about that. And so this little boy volunteered to talk about why he ranked this one to 10. And I, he said, I loved it because there wasn't any reading. I just got to do math and play with math in different ways. And I thought that was so cool. Like, here's one of my students who historically has struggled in school. And he found something that was joyful, was a challenge for him. But he had fun with it and he was willing to continue trying, you know, and he's one that like, if we're taking notes, he wants to check out because that's hard for him. Right. But this was something where it's like, this is way more important to me than taking notes because I can support you when you're doing independent work. But now you're getting to do the really complex thinking and you are participating and you are engaged. Like give that kid 15 gold stars. You know what I mean? (laughs) Absolutely. And that is it, right? We're looking to engage every learner 
no matter what they come to us with. And so these ideas of like giving kids complex problems and time to just try some things out and work together can yeah. really be engaging for everybody. Yeah. And I love I that. Like what you said about like, just try it. Like I want to add on to that. Try it. And if it goes horribly, don't give up. Like yes, when kids struggle and fail, we don't write them off and say, okay, we're done. Just give up. You know, like it's not going to be perfect. Your first time, your first three, four five times, you know, my very first year of doing this, well, last year, I had kids that thought that looking at each other around the room was cheating. And I was like, no, that's not cheating. I want you doing that. And so I called it a field trip. And I said, if you're stuck as a group, you have to stay together as a group, go take a field trip around the room, look at what other people are doing and see if there's anything that you can take back and try on your whiteboard. And they really struggled with that in the beginning. But they're looking at our work. Okay. Is this a test? You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like we're just learning. We're just practicing. We're just playing with math. And you're building that collaboration in. I always say like what we do tells kids what we value, not what we say. We can say whatever we want to say, but when you say, no, go over there and look, go, you don't Mm -hmm. know what to do. Go look around the room that shows them like, oh, she really means that like we can help each other or whatever. That is a great way to just show kids what you value. Yeah. And I really, it really translated into the rest of my classroom. At other times when kids who would understand something quickly and I'm working with other kids and then I have those kids that are kind of in the middle, they don't quite understand, but they don't need a ton of extra help. Those kids who got it a little bit more quickly, they would volunteer. Oh, I can help you with that. You know, because I never want to say to like the early finishers or the quick processors, it's your job to go teach these other kids for me. Right. But they were volunteering like I I can help him or I can help her. Sure. Go for it. You know, you have just as much, not just as much expertise as me, but you have expertise and Mm -hmm. you have a lot of value to share. And maybe you're going to explain it in a way that I as a teacher can't explain it. Mm -hmm. Like my brain didn't work that way, you know, and it really became very empowering for students And especially students who maybe struggled with some concepts of math, but then they deeply understood other concepts of math and roles would be reversed. Mm -hmm. And so a student who really struggled with dividing with regrouping, but they got multiplication really well. And somebody who had been really good at dividing with regrouping needed extra help with multiplication. Now those kids have flipped roles and it took away that idea of like the smart kid. Mm -hmm. I, again, last year I had a kid who was great at computation in his head. He was also really good at word problems too. Like he was just, he was working on a whole other level, but kids always would be like, well, we'll just wait for Johnny to answer, you mm-hmm. know? So doing the collaborative thinking, it took that away because if you were in a group with Johnny, that didn't necessarily mean that you guys were going to do the best because right. he's not leading the group. If you're all captaining this ship, you I know, it. and it really helped, I think, redirect a lot of kids mindsets about themselves and their role in the classroom because maybe I'm with Johnny today and yeah he gives me a lot of good ideas but tomorrow I'm in a group with other people because it's all random and now I'm the one that's giving a lot of good ideas Mm -hmm. or I got to model in another fourth grade classroom this year one of my colleagues and she has a student who historically hasn't done very well in math and a student who's again one of those like supercomputers and they were in the same group and it was a question about money The question was, you have dimes, nickels, quarters, no pennies. 
how many ways can you make a dollar? And the supercomputer couldn't remember how much a quarter was worth. But the girl who's traditionally struggled with math knew it was 25 cents. And so they were kind of debating back and forth. And he was insistent that a quarter was 20 cents. And she said, no, it's 25 cents. And so when I came over to listen in, I just said, I think she's right. You should listen to her. Completely changed her mindset on math. Mm -hmm. Completely. And that's one of those magical moments that's not going to happen with every kid. But for her to hear and see, I'm the one that's not good at math. or I feel like I'm not good at math. But I knew this. And this guy who's like always gets the best grades in math. He didn't know it. Her teacher told me she's been way more willing to try in math, you know, Yay. because of that one little experience. Yeah. I know. I was like, oh, <laughs> I feel like we could talk for hours about math. And this right here is my favorite thing to do. Facilitate kids discovery in word problems. They can learn so much by trying things and working together. And especially when you're giving them these rich tasks, right? That have so many opportunities to just like go in different paths. So, yeah. um, all right. If people want to talk more with you yeah. about word problems or engaging students or really working on that, like developing that confident math mindset, where can they find you on the internet? For sure. So Instagram is probably my favorite. I'm at Sunny in SoCal. It's S-U-N-N-Y underscore I-N underscore S-O-C-A-L. I am on there all the time. I love getting DMs and responding to them. I think that's you know, how you and I kind of got talking with yeah. one of us a DM the other and now we're friends. Yay. Um, <laughs> so that I have a website. It's not that great. Please don't judge me based off it. But <laughs> it's my name, JanetNasser.com. So um, we'll put that in the show notes. Yep. And then you can also email me at SunnyInSoCal at JanetNasser.com. That doesn't have any underscores. And then... I also work with Teach Your Heart Out, and I'll be presenting on their cruise this summer in July. We're going to the Bahamas. I'm so excited. Um, I've never been. And I will be presenting about collaborative math tasks and building thinking math classrooms. Wait, you're doing a math PD on a cruise ship? Is yes, that what you just isn't said? that so cool? That is so fun. Oh, my goodness. Yes, well, yes. Okay. So Teach Your Heart Out and, uh, on a cruise ship. Love that. Yes. Okay, it's in I July. Hope. I think it's July 5th or 6th through like the 10th. And so it'll be one day in Florida, in Orlando. We'll have um, sessions like in a hotel. Then we'll board the ship. And then the day that we're at sea, it's PD at sea. And then it includes a day at one of the islands. I can't remember which one. Oh my goodness. That is yes. hilarious and amazing. And exactly what every teacher needs. Like right? go get a vacation and a little bit of professional learning. I yes. love it. I love it. We'll have so much fun on that. And thank, thank you, you so much for sharing all of this with us. This has been so amazing. Yes. Thank you for inviting me. I had so much fun. Well, that was your dose of Honest Math Chat for today, friend. Thanks so much for listening. It would mean so much to me if you subscribed, shared this podcast with your friend, or leave a comment. <laughs> if you have not downloaded my free guide that I made in response to the questions you have all about engaging your students in math discussions, go grab it, monamath.com slash discussions. And if you have other questions that I haven't answered, shoot me a DM on Instagram at hellomonamath. I can't wait to chat more with you next week. Remember, we're here every Monday. I'm always listening on my way to work. When do you listen? See you soon, friend. <laughs>